couple months ago, I was with my kids at the Wheaton Public Library, and we were waiting to check out some books there on the first floor, and I looked across the room, and I saw a little girl who was about to get on the elevator with her mom. And you know how the doors, they have those two pieces, and they slide in front of each other? I watched her put her hand in between those two doors, and they, they closed on her hand, and her hand got stuck. And she started screaming, and there were all these people about, and everyone just sort of froze. And I saw her mom look up, and I don't know why, but she looked right at me. There were lots of people around, but she looked right at me, and she said, help. And I was like, me? What? And, and so I, I dropped my books, and I ran over there, and I, I was able to pull the doors apart and slide her hand out. A librarian rushed over. She said, I used to be a nurse. And they took mom and daughter back into another room to take care of them. I think she was okay. But that was not what I was expecting on my trip to the library. I thought the most exciting thing I'd be doing was reading Green Eggs and Ham to my kids, which I do find exciting because I do it in like a Jimmy Stewart voice. You know, like a, I, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, sir, my ham. So that is, that is fun for me. But, but I was not expecting to be, to be called upon, to be asked, to, to be surprised that I have to do something, I have to engage, I have to rescue this little girl from the elevator. And I've got to imagine that's a little bit of what the disciples are feeling when they hear Jesus say, you are the light of the world. When he says to them, you are the light, that's not what they're expecting. They think Jesus is the light. Look, look at what's been happening in our gospel of Matthew. In, in chapter 4, which we read a couple weeks ago, Jesus has just started his public ministry. And Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he describes Jesus' public ministry like this. Chapter 4, verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus is the light. Who, me? I'm supposed to be the light? And then Jesus goes on. And he begins to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And crowds are flocking to him. And disciples are flocking to him. He's the light. And he begins to heal. Listen to this. They brought him uh, the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And he begins this teaching with all the crowds and all the disciples around. And he starts to describe what the kingdom of God is like. It's, it's blessings for the poor. It's blessings for those who mourn. It's blessings for those who persecute it. And, and the crowds must be thinking, the disciples must be thinking, this is our guy. We can put our hope in him. We can trust in him. He is a light. And then Jesus, at the pinnacle of that, says, no, you are the light. And in the original language, he says it emphatically because he knows that this is unexpected. You, no, seriously, you are the light. And I just picture the disciples going, who, who, us? Is he talking to you? Who's, what? Jesus isn't just talking to the crowds that day or, or, or his disciples that day. He says, you are the light to every single person who is committed to following him 
to every person who is a Christ follower, who is a disciple of Jesus, he says, you are the light. And if you're here this morning and you haven't made that commitment, if you're still exploring what Christianity is about, what the church is about, what Jesus says, well, this is it. This is at the heart of it. That there is a dark world and Jesus has sent us, his church, to be the light in that darkness. This morning, I just want to look at two things with you. First, what is that darkness? What does it look like? What does it mean that we live in a world of darkness? And second, how can we be a light in that world? Would you pray with me? Lord, would you enlighten our, our hearts now, that we would hear these words, that we would hear you speak these words to us. You are the light of the world. And Lord, would you show us by your Holy Spirit how that word to us needs to reorganize our lives, needs to reprioritize our days. Amen. Now, you might have noticed from the gospel reading that it also included a phrase about salt, but as my wife pointed out uh, while I was prepping this, I really don't know a lot about salt. All my food is very under-seasoned when I cook, and when she asked me to get pink Himalayan salt from the grocery I have no idea what she's talking about. So we're just going to focus on light this morning. There is darkness in our world. And there's three words that all begin with S that help me remember it. The first is sin. There is the darkness of sin. That's the darkness that's in me and in each one of us. And sin is, is when instead of giving our lives to the way of Jesus and loving each other sacrificially, instead we respond selfishly. It's when, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, after the way of Jesus. But so often, I, I just hunger and thirst after what is going to satisfy me right now and what's going to make me happy right now. And that's darkness. There's a darkness in me that's called sin, but there's also darkness in our society. That's the second S. And society is, is, is those structures and relationships that we build with our sinful hands. And there's a lot of good in society. But friends, there's also darkness. There's a darkness of the oppression of the poor and when we don't care for the poor. There's darkness of the trafficking of, of young people and particularly young women. There's a darkness of our neglect as a society, as a nation, for the sanctity of life, for the unborn child, as, as someone who's almost 30, I have never in my life known that this nation cared for life. As long as I've been alive, it's been disregarded. It's been an afterthought. It hasn't been, it hasn't been cared for. Friends, that's a darkness. And I was so blessed and so proud when our bishop and our archbishop and other leaders marched uh, at Washington for the March of Life to stand up as a light in the darkness because there is darkness in our society. There's a darkness of sin. There's darkness in our society. But the Bible also describes another darkness. It describes it as spiritual oppression or spiritual forces. The Old Testament has a word for this. It's the advers adversary, Satan. 
And he is, is roaming about. He's looking for ways that he can bring us down. There is a darkness. But friends, we don't have to fear that darkness. Because Jesus entered into all those aspects of darkness. The Bible says between the sixth hour and the ninth hour when Jesus hung on the cross, that darkness covered the land. And in that darkness on the cross, Jesus took upon himself our sin, the sins of every one of us. He took that upon himself, him who had committed no sin. He became sin. And, and in, in that moment, in the darkness of the cross, he took on all of the injustice of society. Anyone who's ever been unjustly convicted and punished, he exemplified that. He entered into that. Everyone who's ever been trafficked and who's, who's been abused for the benefit of someone else, Jesus entered into that. For every child that is unborn and that doesn't get a chance, for every societal structural sin, Jesus entered into that and he defeats it. In that darkness, he enters into battle with Satan himself, with spiritual forces, and he defeats it in his death. He brings the light of his resurrection. And friends, that is the light that he calls us to take out into the world. It's not light of ourselves. It's not something we have to muster up, that we have to get out a stone and a, 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 a flint and rub it together and try to make our own fire. No, we have the light of the resurrection of Jesus. And he calls us to take that light against personal sin so that he can work his transformation in us and that we can heal those who've been hurt by sin. And he calls us to take that light into our society to combat the, the structural forces that, that oppress and that hurt. And he calls us through prayer and fasting to stand up against the spiritual darkness and the spiritual oppression. Friends, there is darkness, but we don't need to fear it. There is no room in Jesus' followers for fatalism, for an unhealthy pessimism, because Jesus has defeated the darkness. We are children of light. The darkness will be overcome. And one day, he will take us to that great city where we don't even need electric lights anymore. We don't need anything else because he will be our light. A pastoral word for some of you. I just had a sense um, this morning that there are some of you who are just experiencing the grief of darkness in our world. The grief of the effects of sin on you and your heart, and your family, your community, that it just, it's a burden that you're carrying this morning. And I just, I just feel this passage and Jesus speaking to us, saying, blessed is the one who mourns, for they'll be comforted. Jesus is with you when you feel the weight of the darkness in your life and in the world. He's with you. And he promises that though mourning can last for a night, that joy comes with the dawn. There is darkness, but we don't have to fear it because Jesus has defeated it on the cross. He gives us his resurrection light. We don't have to fear it, and we also, we don't want to feed on it. We don't want to take the darkness in. Here's what I mean by that. When, 
My brothers and I, when we were growing up, we lived out in the country, and we would, at night, go out and play in the woods. And at first, you can't see anything. It's just all blackness. And then as you're outside for a while, your pupils dilate, and you can start to make out shapes, and you can start to see things. Your eyes adjust to the darkness. I think a lot of us, our eyes have adjusted the darkness. And I speak for myself, and I think particularly for my generation when I say, that our eyes have adjusted to darkness in media and in the things we watch and in the things we listen to. Now, don't get me wrong. I love art and I love beauty and I love the way a, a profound film can move you and can speak truth and love and honesty. I love it when a song does that, when a story does that. But in our society, sometimes the things that tell stories best and the things that have the best acting and directing and writing are the things with the most objectionable content. And, and, and we use the idea that if there's a little bit of something redemptive at the end, then we'll suffer through all sorts of nonsense in the beginning. Sometimes I think that we're tempted to prioritize a, a relevance with our culture, more than a righteousness in our culture. And, and, and we make these excuses and we let discernment go out the window. That if it's got a sophisticated enough cultural critique embedded in it, then it's worth wading through darkness. That if it's funny enough, we'll ignore the fact that it's inappropriate or that if, if we were to read a script of something we watched here this morning, it would be just about the most awkward thing we could imagine. If the beat is hip enough or if the hook is hot enough, we'll sing lyrics that we'd never dare to speak. If the graphics are immersive enough, the gameplay engaging enough, we'll do things with our avatar that, God forbid, we would ever do with our bodies. And we begin to be shaped by the darkness that we feed on. And we begin to be shaped by a liturgy of darkness. And I confess, I struggle this, in this area. I think a lot of us struggle in this area. And what, we, what happens is we find ourselves unequally yoked with our media. And Scripture tells us, it says, what fellowship has lawlessness with righteousness? What partnership has light with darkness? My brothers and I, when we would play outside, we would have to keep from looking back at the house because the back of my house growing up was all windows. It was too bright. If you looked at it, your eyes would readjust. And when we look into darkness, when we stare into the darkness, and when we feed on the darkness, it keeps us from looking at the light. It keeps us from looking at the face of Jesus. In three weeks, we'll read the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. That's when Jesus goes up on the mountain and his clothes become dazzling white, and his face shines with the glory of the Father, and it says it shines like the sun. And when the Apostle Paul thinks about that passage, he says, he says, when we look at the face of Christ, when we are transformed into the image of Christ, that we reflect that glory, that we reflect the light of Christ, that little by little, degree by degree, we reflect that light more and more, more and more resurrection light. Friends, we can't be reflecting that light if instead our eyes have grown accustomed to the darkness. 
Now, I know that we don't like it when we poke around with each other's media, and it's easy to get offensive, it's easy to judge. But would you, would you take time this week to let the Holy Spirit sift this through in your heart, sift this passage through in your heart? Would you focus on the face of Christ and see if there would be anything in you that he'd want to change? Will you talk with a friend or with a mentor? So if we want to be the light of the world, if we want to f- reflect the light of Jesus Christ, we can't let our eyes grow accustomed to the darkness. So there is darkness. We don't need to fear it. We don't need to feed on it. Because Jesus calls us to be the light. He calls us to be the light, to reflect his light. Do you, do you feel like like the light? Do you feel like Christ's love is reflected in you? You know, I think a lot of times we, we don't feel like our light or the light that we're reflecting is very big. We might picture ourselves holding a little candle. Did you know that the human eye can see even a little candle, a little flame in the darkness at 30 miles away? Isn't that amazing? And I know it's true because the report I read it enlisted it in kilometers as well, so it had to be true. We underestimate the power of the light of Christ reflected in our lives. You know, I think, I think in this moment, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, that he, he is speaking prophetically. That is, he sees the possibility. He sees the vision of the future. In chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. And in chapter 10, he sends his disciples out. And and when they thought that they could never teach, that they could never heal, that they could never preach, that they could never cast out darkness, he sends them out. And you know what they do? They teach and preach and heal and cast out darkness. Jesus is prophesying because he knows that on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes and the Spirit is poured out on his people, that they're going to reflect the light in such a powerful way that when they preach, thousands will believe. And when they speak the word of Jesus, demons will be cast out, the lame will walk, the blind will see. When they pray, the room will shake. And and when they sing and worship, prison doors will fly open. And that they'll be sent out in that light to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and down through the ages. It's Christians that a generation later in Antioch, when there's sickness and and death, it's the Christians that take in the poor and care for the the sick. Throughout history, we see this. When the slave trade had reached its peak, it's Christians in England who, who worked and who petitioned and who lobbied and who prayed for the abolishment of the slave trade. And in India, it was a small little woman with a great reflective light, Mother Teresa, who cared for poor and cared for children. And in our country, just a few years ago, when Hurricane Katrina hits the poorest neighborhoods in New Orleans, and the government aid isn't fast enough, doesn't last long enough, it is the church that feeds and clothes and rebuilds for years. Friends, we underestimate the power of the light of Jesus in us. Jesus says, don't hide your light in a basket. Don't underestimate it. 
It's powerful. Put it, put it as high as you can reach. Put it on a stand, the highest point in the middle of the room, so everyone can see it. Friends, who's in your house? Who's in your sphere of influence that needs to see that light? Would you ask that of the Lord this week? Who is it that is living in darkness that needs to see the light of Christ reflected in me? And there are families and, 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 and other folks and individuals doing this at resurrection all the time. They're adopting or fostering kids, bringing them out of darkness into their families, teaching them about the Lord, showing them what love is, bringing them here to church, enveloping them in this family. There are people who are inviting and sharing the gospel with their friends and neighbors and coworkers, bringing them here, bringing them to Alpha, where they can hear about Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time. How has God, how is God calling you to shine your light in your house, to not hide it under a basket, but to put it up on a stand? See, when Jesus, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he sees the power that that's going to have. That when we pray for others, they're going to be healed. That when we speak the gospel to others, they will believe. That when we see injustice in our world and we feel the Lord call us to engage in that, that there will be strongholds that are broken down. When I think about the Fritz family, and, and, and did they ever think that when they started raising money for, for children in Africa who need clean water, that they would raise $20,000 in a year? That's the power of the light of Christ in us. That's what it can do. Don't underestimate it. We don't have a little candle. We don't even have a floodlight. We don't even have a star. We, we have the sun. Let it shine. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And, and that you, it's actually plural in the text. We just, in our language, don't have a great, a great plural word for that. But um, fortunately, my wife spent some time in Long Island growing up. And they have a word for it there. It's, it's use. <laughs> so just picture Jesus saying, use guys are the light of the world. Or um, my friend who grew up in Alabama, she would say, y'all are the light of the world. It's plural. Jesus is talking to us. If we underestimate what our light can do by itself, then we also drastically underestimate what all of our lights can do together as the church. If you were at our Christmas Eve service, we, at the end of it, we all have candles and we light them one by one. And I'm always surprised at how bright it gets when all of our lights are shining together. That's the, that's the church. Jesus calls it the city on a hill. And, 
the city on a hill that cannot be hidden, the city on a hill whose light shines into the valleys and into the caves, the city on the hill that sends people out as Jesus did to carry his light to all the dark places. It's the city on a hill. Listen to how Isaiah the prophet describes this city. He says, nations will stream to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawning. Your gates will always be open by day or night. They'll never be shut. They will call you the city of the Lord. And friends, the city of the Lord is not a passive thing. Light is not passive. Light is active. Light shines. And, and we are not passive as the church. We're putting all of our hope, all of our energy into the reality that Jesus' light is reflected through the church. And when the light shines on the darkness, the darkness scatters. It's like that scene in Lord of the Rings when Gondor is under siege and they have no hope and their city is going to fall. And so their last, their last hope is to light that huge torch, that huge pile of sticks on top of the city, on top of that mountain, and that one lights. And then in the distance on the next hill, another one lights. And then another one lights. And then another one lights. Friends, this is the light of the church, Christ's resurrection light shining in the city on a hill, that there would be no place that is left in darkness. And that's why resurrection has a growing passion for planting churches, churches that are lights to their communities. Because friends, there are hills out there that do not have a city on them. And there are people out there who live in darkness, who dwell in the shadow of death. And Jesus calls us to them. You are the light of the world. There is darkness out there. The darkness of sin and societal darkness, spiritual darkness. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to feed it. Because Christ is our light. He calls us to reflect that light. There is darkness, but even in the deepest darkness, even in the void, there is a voice, the voice of God saying, let there be light. And there is light. For a people living in darkness, there's light. For people living in the shadow of death, there is a dawning. A light has shined and the darkness cannot overcome it, cannot fight it, cannot drown it out, cannot take its place because the light is a face, the glory of Christ with garments of white shining like the sun. Church, torchbearers, fire makers, city kindlers, let our hearts burn with the light of Jesus for those who are born in darkness, for we are the children of light. Hear the call here and now. In this night, we are the light. We are the light. We are the light of the world. So let's shine our lights before everyone so that they can see our good works, so they can see the face of Jesus Christ and glorify our Father in heaven.
Amen.